You are listening to the Midtown Church Podcast, a ministry that exists to make Jesus known. Let me read for us Psalm 46, verse 1 to 11. It says this God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, uh, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you've gathered us to worship under your name. For those of us who are visiting, uh, we are deeply thankful that they are They've been called to come here. Lord Jesus, may the preaching of your word to the singing of song to even our prayers be worthy in your presence as we give them to you as an offering, as a sacrifice. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, My brother and sister-in-law, they used to own um, this really cute dog named Joey. Very small, fluffy dog. And we all know a dog like Joey, those tiny little dogs. You know, Joey is one of those dogs that's a small dog with a really big bark. So Joey barks all the time, acts tough behind the fence or at the front door, sees a bigger dog or see a stranger walk by and Joey will bark with all his might. But as soon as you take Joey outside to the park to take him out for a walk, He'll do the barking when he sees a big dog or a bigger stranger. But as soon as the bigger dog or the stranger comes close, Joey runs and hides between my brother and sister-in-law's legs, terrified. So my question, one of my first questions is, do humans react the same way as Joey? See, culturally speaking, we use terms like this. Someone's bark is worse than their bite. This means that whether in public or on social media, we react in a certain way. We make ourselves bigger or stronger than we really are, but in private or internally, we're completely terrified. See, the question of Psalm 46 is addressing this. Where do we go in times of trouble? Where do you or I put our trust in? See, even socially speaking, we even put our trust in what these days? Food, Netflix, social media, money, physical strength, intelligence, marriage, or even within ourselves. 
See, this is not just a question that, that is asked in the 21st century. It was asked before this time. And even after we're long and gone, it will still be asked and still needs to be answered. So Psalm 46 deals with this question. So look, there are three points I want to make in this sermon, and they are the testing of trust, the thrill of trust, and the triumph of trust. Okay, The testing of trust, the thrill of trust, and the triumph of trust. Okay, so when you look at Psalm 46, you're going to see that it's broken up into three stanzas, okay, three sections. So verses 1 to 3, 4 to 7, and then 8 to 11. We're going to go through each stanza to see how the psalmist gives us an answer to a question about where we place our trust, but also where we should place our trust, which ends up in a prayer of trust. So Psalm 46 is a psalm of trust in the face of an overwhelming threat, okay? We actually do not know where the threat is or where it comes from, but some of the Bible scholars believe that the threat is, it could be from pagan nations. So the scholars think that this, they come to this conclusion due to what is said in verses six, but we're still unsure and unclear. Okay, so this is potentially good news because this means that God's presence itself, himself, protects us. And according to Psalm 46, from his presence protects us from all types of concerns and dangers and worries and even pandemics. So then let's go to my first point, which is the testing of trust. Okay, so the first word I would want to highlight in this psalm is the word refuge. So God is our refuge. I would encourage you to highlight, circle, underline in your Bibles. The psalmist is reminding the readers of first importance, the primary idea, the first major thing to, we need to understand is that God himself is a refuge. So think of the word refuge as our safe space and place. But then Christians, brothers and sisters, we need to go deeper than that. Look, if you and I were getting chased by someone who might want to hurt us, a safe Space or place would be like, for example, like running into a police station. Or better still, maybe a police officer. Look, if you get again chased, a police officer is always going to be better when you're being chased than a police station. If the police station building was empty with no police officers, that's no help to you or to me. But if you're being chased by someone who might want to hurt you, running to a police officer will be better than running into an empty police building. Because we are told here in Psalm 46 that God, the Father, is our refuge. He's not this empty building. He's not a, he's not a God of empty promises. He's a God who has proven himself in the past and God's faithfulness is like the police officer's sort of badge and uniform. As soon as you see it, you can trust it. The second word I would highlight besides refuge is the, the very next word is the word strength. That God is our refuge, but also our strength. So what does the psalmist mean by the word strength? Because most would assume when we first look at that word, we're going to assume just physical strength. 
but I want to use the word strength three, sort of three different but connecting ways, okay? Three different but connecting ways. First is this. First, I know we're going to think of a young adult man in a gym staring at himself and flexing his muscles. That could be one thing while, while he lifts weights. The other is a young man full of energy, has no real cares in the world, but the most important idea is that, no real cares, but there is this sense of physical strength. There's a strength in him. Second, think of a middle-aged man with his sort of, his inner resolve. See, in regards to juggling everything in life, this middle-aged man has a wife to lead and to sacrifice for. He has children who need his love and attention. He has a job that demands his sort of time and focus. With everything that life throws at him, this middle-aged man is steady and sure. And then finally, also now think of an elderly man. He has the strength. This elderly man has the strength of all his years of wisdom. The elderly man has gone through every torment, every trial that life has thrown at him. And he has prevailed with honor and with dignity. And then people all around this elderly man, they look to him for what? For his strength of mind. See, this is more than just about physical strength, which, yeah, God has. But it's really about the strength of God's character. Because of everything he knows and because everything he has gone through, God has a strength that is full and complete. Even though the God of the universe has many other characteristics, there are, these are the characteristics that the psalmist has focused on, especially in relation to any type of danger heading our way because you can trust in him even when danger ahead and is coming your way. So God the Father has the strength to defeat any enemy. Trust him because he has defeated every enemy before your existence and he has defeated your enemies to come. The next word I would encourage you to highlight in your Bible is the word then present. So you've got God as our refuge, a strength, but now he's a very present help in trouble. Okay, the idea to me when I first read it almost feels sort of unachievable, unattainable. Why? Because you get the sense if you're anything like me, if you're anything like me, you get the sense that God can seem so distant He's up in the heavens somewhere, and I'm here on earth, struggling through, but the key word here is the word present. The idea of God being near and close by. So here's my question to the psalmist and for us this morning. It's not just a question, but it's a concern. If God is with us during this difficult time and during a difficult season that you might be going through, then why do I still feel terrified today? Why do Christians make blanket statements like, perfect love drives out fear, but yet I still, still feel fearful? Does this mean that God and everything he has said is a complete lie? 
The Hebrew word translated as present, the meaning behind the word is, can be found when you need it. That's what it means by present, can be found when you need it. So think of it this way. If you were sitting on the couch watching TV and you were feeling a little bit peckish, like you wanted a snack, not a meal, you just want a snack, you know exactly where to go for that snack. Whether it be in your house or whether it be in the house that you broke into. When you're feeling peckish, when you want a snack, you go to the pantry. But what you also need to know that is there is a proactive component to this. Because the truth is you still need to get up from your couch and walk towards the pantry to go get what you want. The idea here is not for you to sit on your couch, to sit there and ask the God of the universe, God the Father, with all his refuge and strength to come and serve you. This is not a time to be passive about our faith, but proactive. It is time to get up and walk over to the pantry. God as a refuge and strength is right there for you. He can be found when you seek him. So brothers and sisters, we can seek and find his refuge and strength in his word. We can seek and find his refuge and strength when we pray. We can seek and find his refuge and strength through the power of his Holy Spirit. So ask, seek, knock. The Bible promises that he will answer. But this does not mean that sad and bad things will never happen to you ever again. But it does mean that you know a father that is bigger and then better than the sad and bad things that happen to us. You know, like those times when my daughters fall down and scrape their knees and they cry out for help? There's blood and there's crying. And I go to them and I carry them inside the house. I bandage their wound and I give them ice cream. But the truth is, even in that moment, the pain is still there. And the truth is, the scraping of the knee might still leave a scar. But their father being there is actually what they really need. So we can pray in trust to the Lord. Okay, so that's verse 1. Now we go to verse 2 and uh, verse 3. In the next couple of verses, there are a few words I want you to notice and highlight if you would. And the words are, the word earth mountains, sea, and waters, okay? Earth, mountains, sea, and waters. You're gonna see it in succession in the text. The psalmist is giving you images of things that we deem, that we sort of faithfully deem stable, things that we sort of trust in. They are inanimate objects, things that cannot be moved. See, the idea is where you left them yesterday They will be there tomorrow when you return. And so Christians and non-Christians alike alike see the earth, see the mountains, see the seas and waters as 
stable, unchangeable. And if these objects did change, or if they did move, the psalmist knows it would shake our faith in some way. But it does not need to because the things that we deem the most stable, this is the imagery the psalmist is trying to give us. The things we deem the most stable are not stable compared to God himself. That's what he's trying to say. So if you compare God to the earth, the mountains, and the sea, they're not stable actually compared to God. But what do we do today that we deem stable? We think of money as stable, housing, maybe cryptocurrency, jobs, relationships. We can even deem our hearts as stable. But time and time again, it has been proven otherwise. Do not trust the things of this world. Do not even trust in yourself because it has failed you more than once. But look to the Lord. Trust in him. Pray in trust. This now leads me to my second point, which is the thrill of trust. See, when you look with me in verse 4, the word that I would encourage us to highlight is the word river. See, previously we're told, he's making this weird comparison. So with the earth, the mountains, the sea, the waters. See, previously we're told that the waters of the sea will roar and foam. It's an image. He's just giving you an image. It's an image of chaos. That's what the sea, the waters of the sea is doing. There's chaos, but now he is giving us an image of a river. Why is this comparison so important? See, the Bible's account of the flood. The Bible's account of the flood is recorded in the book of Genesis. We are told that it is Yahweh, it is actually the Lord himself who has sent this flood as part of his judgment on the earth. But in Mesopotamia's account of the flood, the gods, when the flood happened, the gods cowered in fear behind the walls of their heavenly abode. And as the chaotic waters unleashed in a fit of sort of anger against towards humanity, it also threatened to destroy the gods as well. And that's Mesopotamia's account. So even the waters were threatening to the gods of other nations, except for the God of Israel. See, this is a time when, uh, when all were unsure about the waters, about what the waters would do. So think about it for us even today. Have you ever gone out to the seas, especially in particular in the middle of the night? See, when you look out, and down into the waters, when you look out into that void, there is nothing but darkness. You do not know what is there, and that's what can make us scared and nervous about the waters. The second thing to know is that there is actually no river running through the city of Jerusalem. See, this must mean that this section of the psalm is referring to the city of God, or which is better understood as heaven or the city. But the most important thing is, this is indicating this is the place where God rules and where God reigns. The idea here is that God alone can calm the storm 
And in the place where God dwells, where he rules and where he reigns, there is no fear. There's only peace, like a river. That's why he gives us this image of this river. See, the sea represents chaos, but the river represents this still calmness. See, the world is chaotic, full of turmoil. The world has always gone up and down about what it thinks and feels. He's giving you the image that the world cannot be trusted. But trust in the Lord. He is like a river, calm, peaceful, with this constant flow, never changing. So enjoy and embrace that he remains steady and stable and sure. That's why we can pray to him in trust. The next couple of words I would highlight are the words where he says uh, in verse six, the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. The couple of words I would highlight there are the words rage and totter. See, even as civilization has advanced throughout the centuries, here's something that will remain the same. No matter how advanced we become, the things that will remain the same is that the nations will rage. See, nations will hate and fight each other. There have been wars before our time. There is a war in our current time and there will be wars even long after we are gone. This truth remains exactly the same today and will continue tomorrow. Nation will rage against nation. And so, and then it tells us that nations then totter or better understood as nations will fall. Um, there was a book titled One Billion Americans by Matt Iglesias. I probably wouldn't, wouldn't recommend it as a read, but I'll give you the synopsis of the book. The synopsis, the premise of the book uh, holds the idea that America is the greatest nation on earth today, maybe in history. Not just, you know, not just like uh, politically or through whatever it is, but it's more than that, in culture. But in order, according to this book, in order to maintain that status, America needs to do two things, and the two things are, it needs to increase its birth rate and also increase its immigration rate. Because for him, if you increase the birth rate, then you can sort of, you know, indoctrinate the children who are grown up into the American society. And also, if you allow more refugees to come in, then you can do the same thing as well. You can indoctrinate them, make them you know, become patriotic and all those things, not bad within itself. In order to compete with the rest of the world, the population in the United States, according to this book by Matt Iglesias, needs to increase to a billion people. But history has taught us the same lesson over and over again. Every great nation from the Mongols to the Roman Empire to the British Empire. Each nation wanted to remain as the dominant world power, but history keeps reminding us that nations will totter. They will fall. But we seem to love the thrill of trusting in 
world leaders, politicians that are currently ruling or politicians and world leaders that will rule. We trust in nations that seem to be good and are the sort of the, the biggest and best. Nations come and go. But the Lord remains trustworthy forever. So pray in trust. See, this now leads me to my third and final point, which is the triumph of trust. The first word I would highlight in verse 8 is the word works. Behold the works of the Lord. This is something for us not to just highlight in our Bibles, but it's something that we accord, we encourage to, to, to sort of come and behold, be in, to be in awe and in wonder of what God has done. So I want to ask the same question again, which I asked near the beginning of my message, which was, if God is with us during this particular season, whatever season you were in, then why do we still feel terrified? And fearful. Interesting enough, I think the answer comes in verse 9. And they come in the words of, you can see three particular words, bow, spear, and chariots. See, in the time when this was penned, bows, spears, and chariots were sort of the weapons of choice. They were the weapons that the people put their trust in. The people believed that through violence and weapons, they, were, they would get their way. You see, if you defeated the enemy, then you were the victor. And as the victor, you, that would also mean you would get your way. You get to rule and you get to reign. See, today, maybe it's a little bit more outrageous to start a violent war on nations and individuals whom we do not get along with. So my question then is, is this. How do we then wage war against others if not with physical weapons? I think today we would prefer to use our words as weapons. You know, using our words, whether it be on social media, to wage war against people or ideologies or whatever it is. See, our trust has remained the same. Our trust has always been in our weapons. Our weapons today just happen to be words. And they can be the most dangerous weapons of all. See, through what God has done, he brings destruction to the things we have said and done. God can put an end to the things we have put our trust in. This is why we look to the Christ's work on the cross. It is Jesus who brought war to our sins and defeated sin and death so that we would Live. This is why we come and behold the work of the cross. I now want to highlight, highlight the most famous verse in this psalm. If you, grew up in this, if you grew up in a church, the most famous verse in this psalm comes in verse 10. And it says, be still and know that I am God. So the words I would highlight here is the words, still. And no. Um, in Hebrew, the word still would be better understood as more, I think, cease and desist. So you've got to think about it this way. It's like walking into a room. 
especially when my two children are fighting. I can hear them fight when they got the door closed and they're fighting. And as I walk into the room while my two children are fighting over a particular toy, I separate the two children from fighting, fighting. But the word still doesn't just mean for them to be, as I walk into the room, for them to be quiet and calm. There's a component of that, but it much more means for them to stop what they have been doing and be still. There's that component, there's more of that. They have to be still and cease from their frantic activity. Only then, when they cease from their frantic activity, can they begin to experience God's intervention for them, for us. So we are called to cease and desist. What it really means is stop fighting, drop the toy, and then turn to the one who has called you to stop fighting. But the psalmist goes further than that. Besides desist and desist, he then says in that moment when you drop the toy, when you stop fighting, when you turn to the Lord who has called you to stop, then he says, then I want you to know. Uh, there's a book by Tony Reinke, but, uh, it's called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. It's, a, it, it's actually a book I highly recommend and I suggest that individuals and families would read. But in his book, one of his suggestions is this, is that we've become a generation that no longer knows how to stay in the moment. In his book, he gives one suggestion that is with our phones, we might go for a hike, we go to the most beautiful mountaintop, we might you know, go, go to the most beautiful lake, whatever it is. We take a picture of that beautiful mountain or landscape or lake and where it is and take the picture and then we move on. We take the digital image and maybe some aspect of a mental image and we store it there and then we just move on to the next big thing. In his book, we've, he, he suggests that we've stopped to just sit there and then contemplate on that image. And instead of standing there before the mountain or the landscape or the lake and wondering about its magnificence and wondering this created thing that is before me, that before me, that must mean that if this created thing is magnificent, there must be a more magnificent creator who created this thing. We take the photo and we move on. We no longer pause, pray, praise. We no longer come and behold the works of Jesus. So he calls us to stop fighting, to drop the toy, to turn to him. But to know to contemplate, to meditate on who he is and what he has done. So are we fueling then our discontentment? Are we, are we fueling our distrust? Or are we fueling our contentment? Are we fueling our trust in Jesus? A play, Richard III, written by William Shakespeare in the 16th century, you might know, you might not know the play itself. 
Um, but you might be familiar with the very first line of this historic play. And the first line goes, Now is the winter of our discontentment. My glorious summer by this son of York. Translated, it would basically say, Shakespeare saying in the first line of Richard III, it is, life now is miserable. But tomorrow will be better. Um, I'm like any other person in this room. I put on my pants one leg at a time. And there's a part of me still, there's a part of me that still wants 2023 just come to the end so we can all move forward to the next best and biggest thing to what God has in store for us in 2024. But I will cease and desist. I will put my trust, my weapons down because there are people that, not just here at Midtown, but the people in my own church and in my own world, in my neighborhood, that still need a friend. There are people who still need to be encouraged. There are people still today who need to be loved. There's still people who need to hear Jesus proclaimed to them. I will cease and desist. I will come to know the incarnation of Jesus, the beauty and majesty of the creator of the heavens and the earth who entered into our dwelling space by becoming a child. I'm not going to wait until Christmas to dwell and meditate on those things. See, Jesus has triumphed over sin and death, and that means that we can trust in his triumph, but only if we look to him. Uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, loved the book of Romans, but he really loved Psalm 46, if you didn't know that. In particular, Psalm 46. Martin Luther loved this psalm so much, he actually wrote a hymn based on it. So I'm going to read it for us. As I come close to my conclusion, he called the psalm, or translated it as, a mighty fortress. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, a helper he amid the flood a mortal of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side? the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Cause Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name. From age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. 
the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. I want to conclude with this thought, and it's strange that my, my father is here this morning. I don't even know if he remembers this story. But when I was, a six, uh, when I was about six or seven years of age, uh, my father and I were playing inside the house. It was a very simple game. It was just one of those games where dad was chasing me around the house. And I remember very distinctly running into the bedroom. And when I ran, as I was running into the bedroom, my, my father, not too far behind me, chasing me into the bedroom, I had enough time to close and then lock the door behind me to not let him in. But as a child, I was so frantic, you know, when you're that young and your father's chasing you, you're very frantic. And I was frantic in enclosing and locking the door, and I, as I'm running to the corner of the bedroom, I actually ran, sort of semi-tripped, and ran into the bedroom window. I ran into the bedroom window hard enough that the window shattered and broke. Nothing happened to me, but all of a sudden I was completely tearful and completely terrified in that moment as a six, seven-year-old child that I had broken the window. I was terrified because I felt like I had done something bad and wrong. So as soon as that incident happened, I remember jumping off the bed and running underneath the bed, deep within its corner. I don't know how to this day, but my father unlocked the door, went to the other end of the bed. My dad crouched down, looking underneath the bed and called for me, but I was actually too frightened to come out. My dad then called me and I remember him distinctly calling me by name and saying, Vin, come here, everything will be okay. And I remember slowly coming out. And when I eventually did, I remember we hugged. But I also distinctly remember, even to this day, he never mentioned the window ever again. So church, Midtown, it does not matter what you've done. You can trust him. You can trust Jesus. You can trust that what he has done on the cross, you can trust what he's that he is alive and well today. Trust him, for he will not forsake you and he will not abandon you. And trust him that he will forgive you, that he is calling you, that he will embrace you. And it is in the trust in Jesus alone that will save. Let's pray. So Lord Jesus, We thank you that we can place our trust in you because of what you have done in the cross, that you rose again, that you ascended to the Father, that your promises remain true, that you promised us that you will come back the exact same way we saw you leave. So Jesus, for those of us who have been following you for a long time, would you restore our trust? And Jesus, for many of us in this room, from young to old, who have put no trust in you, but still continue to put their trust in our weapons of choice, 
Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you show us? Would you open our eyes? Would you soften our hearts to show us that, man, those weapons keep failing us. But there's something, there's someone that we ultimately can put our trust in, that is you. So Jesus, strengthen us. Call us, draw us close to the Father's side. Jesus, help us with small steps to trust, whether it be through prayer, through the gathering of the saints, through the building of your bride. Show us, Lord Jesus, that you remain trustworthy. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Midtown, please go to midtownchurch.com.